Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and be sure to let us know how God is moving in your life. Now let's check out this week's message from Pastor Chad. So it was a couple of weeks ago, I was out in the lobby, uh, just standing there talking to someone. And in the middle of the conversation, they kept studying my face and looking at my, my head. And after a while, they said, man, Pastor Lawrence, you are getting a lot of gray hair. I, I kid you not, this was serious. Now, in this particular case, though, I was able to look back and say, well, at least I have hair, right? So be careful a little bit about that. Now, so I've been resisting this gray hair thing, and it's, it's kind of a re- role reversal for Penny and I, but um, I'm not vain about it. I don't, think, I don't think I'm being stupid about it, but it's just like I've always denied the fact that gray hair was coming in. So Penny would say, hey, I think you're getting some gray hairs, and I'm like, no, it's just kind of, you know, it was painting or something like that and just got too close, um, you know, but, but I think most of it, I, I just tried to amuse my wife who decided to celebrate the silver years ago. Right, and she does it well. She does it really well, but I, on the other hand, have decided to kind of nurture the natural. Right, so even so much so that uh, two two times in my life I tried growing a beard, and the first time I did, I was in my late forties, and uh, there was gray hairs in my beard. Right, nowhere else in my head, but there was some gray in my beard, which is not uncommon. So it was right before family photos. I mean, this big family photo event. We had a photographer come in. I decided to remove the inconsistencies. So I I shouldn't even tell you this, but I went out and I bought a just for men hair coloring, right? (laughs) I used the color charts and everything to make sure that it matched my hair. It wasn't going to be noticeable or anything like that. Well, apparently I don't know how to read color charts because that beard came in really, really dark. The rest of my hair was a little bit lighter, much to the, the delight of my family who decided to make a big deal about it, right, over these family photos. But here's the thing. I suppose that if all of us had some opportunity to prescribe the perfect body, what would it look like? The colors, the sizes, and the shapes of our body, right? I suppose that we'd come up with some changes or maybe something that's different than it is now. But you know what? Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that's how we think. That's why on the magazine covers, right, there are these you know, ads for how to lose, how, these little tips, how to lose 20 pounds in 10 days. Cosmetic companies know this, so they advertise and promote these creams that you just put a little dot here or whatever, and it removes all the lines of time from your face. Surgeons know this, so surgeries are offered for, you know, lifts and tucks and resurfacing, whatever it is that's going to give you that perfect body. So here's the thing. Uh, We may want something different in in our bodies, but what we're going to get to today in our text from 1 Corinthians is God telling us that sometime, ultimately, there is going to be a perfect body. You're going to have this perfect body. Now, it may not be with the perfect hair collar or your preferred hair collar. may not be the size of your biceps, your bust, or your behinds. I, I know what you're thinking, right? So, but, but it has to do, it has everything to do with a perfect body that is fit for heaven. A perfect body that's fit for heaven. Now, I want you to stay with me for a moment. This is a very theological message today. It was one that I almost gave up on because it was so hard, but I think you're going to help. I think it's going to help us understand the significance of the resurrection and what that means for us. So we're using the text from 1 Corinthians. Let me give you a little context before we jump into the specific verses that we're going to be talking about today. 
But 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. I mean, it is the resurrection chapter of the Bible. We began this on the Sunday right after Easter because we didn't want you to pack the resurrection away and, and, and lose its significance for another year. We wanted you to, to kind of understand it. So we're unpacking this through this message series called Hope Revive. Well, the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15 validate Jesus' resurrection. I mean, it leaves us with no question. It says he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the 12 apostles. He appeared to 500 people. Then he appeared to the other apostles, and then he appeared to James, and Paul says, you know, eventually he appeared to me also. All of these appearances to real people in real time give undeniable evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He really did, did rise from the dead. Now, we don't understand maybe how that happened, but most of us have come to accept the fact that, yes, Jesus is alive. He, in fact, did resurrect from the dead, even though we don't understand how this coming back from the dead thing really works. What we might not be as certain about is our resurrection. Because what happens in Corinthians, after we validate, the the validation of Jesus' resurrection is made, and we've accepted that, now the writer turns and starts talking about our resurrection. And this automatically raises some questions, no doubt, in your mind. It does in a lot of us. Questions like, seriously? You serious about my body going to resurrect? You know, I, I don't... Maybe you never even thought about that. Maybe you never heard that before. But my body that is buried or cremated is going to come back to life again in a bodily form? Seriously? The second question we might ask then is, how does that happen? How is that even possible for that to happen? The third question that we tend to ask is, what will that body even look like? Is it going to be the same as I am now, or is it going to be like a younger body? Am I going to be more fit? You know, what, what does that new body look like? And then the fourth question that we might be asking is, what does all this matter? Why are we even talking about this? Like when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't care if it's a body, spirit, what it is, but why does this matter? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to answer those four questions today uh, in this message. But uh, I'm going to have to a- answer them with the information uh, that, I, that I already know. See, sometimes we know certain things about God. We know certain things about his word. But we're just not quite sure yet how some of these things happen. And it raises the skepticism uh, within each one of us. I know that there's this hidden curiosity within every human heart that wants to know how things happen. Right? I want to be able to figure this out, and if I don't know how it happens or if I can't figure it out, it's a little bit hard for me to believe. And that's the way it is for a lot of people when it comes to this idea of the resurrection. But I don't want us to abandon that which we can know with certainty in search of that which we certainly cannot know. When it comes to God and his word, there's a certain mystery that surrounds all of it. In fact, every miracle that Jesus did has a certain mystery to it. I can't explain all of it. All I know is that there's enough evidence to know that it happened. And Jesus made sure of that, especially as it relates to his resurrection. So let me ask, let me just attempt to answer these questions. Number one, is there really going to be a bodily resurrection? In other words, when I die and I'm buried and I'm cremated, is my body going to come back to life again? Because if it is, that's going to creep a lot of people out. 
Now, let me just say this. We're all in this together. Your body is not going to come back to life independent of God's universal resurrection plan. There is a day coming when Christ is going to return to this earth and all of this is going to happen at once. Stay with me for a moment because even if you don't believe this, I want you to hear what the Word of God says here in 1 Corinthians uh, just, just to kind of put this into perspective. Your resurrection is going to happen. And since you are the composition of both body and spirit, it simply means that when you die, you never really die. So here's how this works. In the very beginning of time, in Genesis chapter 2, we read that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. That's bodily. That's human existence. He made them male and he made them female. They had bodies. It was physical, physical bodies. And then what he did after that, it says he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And then, only then, did man become a living being. Adam was not a living being before this. It was only when the immaterial and the material combined that Adam became a living being. So you and I are not just flesh, but we are flesh and spirit. Now, we could even take this a little step further and say, no, we're spirit, we're, we're, we're body, spirit, and soul. I'm not going to get into that today. Some people use soul and spirit interchangeably. Others would say, no, they're very separate things. But for the sake of this morning, let's just talk about body and spirit, body and spirit. You are both body and spirit. Your body is the dwelling place of the spirit. And when your body dies, the spirit leaves, it departs, it moves out and goes to be with Christ. So in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, the Apostle Paul is, is speaking, and he's writing, and he's, he goes, I love what I do. You know, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm being like this evangelist, I'm starting churches, and yeah, life is hitting me hard sometimes, I'm in prison and all that, but I love what I do, I'm, I'm living life. But then he also says in verse 23, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the flesh, that's his body, that means fruitful labor for me, right? I got, I got more to do. And yet to depart and to be with Christ is far better. Now, what he's talking about is his death when his body and spirit would separate. Many of us, in fact, most Christians believe that when you die, your body goes to the grave and your spirit goes to be with the Lord and that's it. That's it. My body's gone, it's in the grave, it's in the urn, and my spirit is in heaven with the Lord, and that's just the way that it will be forever. But it appears from Scripture, and there's where I want you to, again, just, just be open-minded to this. It appears from Scripture that the body, yes, the body that you had that is now in the grave, in the urn, is just waiting to be redeemed or renovated or reunited with the spirit. Early in, in the year, Norland Avenue Sheets put up a big sign, closed, temporarily closed for renovations, right? They put the big fence around it, barricades, you couldn't get in there. Everything in that store moved out. The product moved out. The employees moved out. Even the, the, the manager, the owner moved out. Now, three months into the renovation, it was complete. The fence came down, the signs came down, the cones were removed, the store was open. Everything moved back in again. I'm not sure if that's the best illustration, but it's kind of a picture of the death of a believer, right? The spirit moves out of the body 
until it has been repaired, until it's been renovated, when at the resurrection, the inward man or the spirit will move back into this renewed body. Now, as I said before, not everyone believes this. Not all Christians, even even Christians believe this. And if you're one of those people who doesn't, listen, don't leave the church over this. You don't need to leave and find another church that's more spiritual, right? Just stay with us. I want to try to unpack this this morning for our understanding of what eternity uh, might be like for us. And the reason that I believe and would propose that there will be a bodily resurrection is because of three very significant things that happen in the story of salvation. I've already talked about one of those, and that is creation. When God created man, he didn't make him a spirit, only a spirit. If God would have wanted a spiritual world for eternity, then he would have just created spirits that could have, you know, inhabited this earth in some way and then went to be with him. But no, God created a body. He created the body of a man. He created the body of a woman. And these were physical bodies just like ours. Also, when God looked into this world and saw that this world needed a redeemer, he did not just send a spirit into this world. He sent his son into this world to inhabit a human uh, virgin's womb. This son was then born with a human body, grew as a human with a body that walked among us, lived among us. Historically, this is all validated. It's all true. Jesus' body was beaten. It was bruised. It was nailed to the tree. It was slain for us. It was a physical body on that tree that was not just a spiritual sacrifice. It was his body. So even when we celebrate communion, we celebrate his body and his blood. There's something about the body that is significant to God. It happened in creation. It happened in our salvation. And then what we celebrated on Easter Sunday was that there was a bodily resurrection from the grave and a bodily ascension into heaven. So there's something about the body that we simply cannot ignore. Now, maybe we could spiritualize this or we could make it metaphorical. We can do all kinds of things, and many people do. But I'm going to propose that perhaps there is something about the body that we need to uh, consider. Jesus' bodily resurrection is actually the guarantee of our future resurrection. He rose literally physically, historically, in a body that was no less visible or no less tangible than those of his very earthly disciples, though remarkably transformed. All of this gives us reason to hope that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, a very good follow-up question to this is, how in the world is this going to happen? How will this happen? Great question, because this is exactly where the skeptics propose the argument that it is absolutely impossible for the same body to be raised since the bodies of those who have died have become decomposed into integrant parts, thus reduced to powder. We know this happens. I mean, this is just science. This is just kind of how the physical world works. Well, God anticipated this problem. He anticipated us asking this question, so he inspired the writer of Corinthians to use the illustration of a farmer sowing grain. So the farmer goes out, he takes a kernel of grain, he puts it into the ground, all the while knowing that that seed will die, it will rot, and it will decompose. Watch this. Here's what it says in verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but it's a bare kernel, only a bare kernel, only a seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. You know, I have never seen a farmer out there sowing his seed, standing there crying because his seed was going to die. I've never seen a farmer standing there grieving over the fact that his seed was going to be buried. And you know why? You know why he's not standing there crying, knowing that he'll never see that seed again? He's standing there, and he's, he's actually anticipating the seed that will die comes to a fuller life. He knows that there's more coming out of it. He knows that when that seed dies and it decomposes and it rots away, eventually it will produce a stalk with several ears bearing many hundreds of kernels, just like the one he planted. And the writer says, so it is with the resurrection. Now, that does not mean that you can plant grandma in the backyard and expect 100 grandmas to grow out of that. What this means, that was bad, wasn't it? But what that means is this. It means that in a decomposing condition of your body, just like a seed, God can and God will take that state of your body and raise it to a gloriously transformed condition to be more than what it was before. This, by the way, is when you get your perfect body. Now, the question that obviously comes out of this, what does this body look like? What is it going to be like? What will our resurrected bodies be like? God does not give us a complete answer, but we do know from the text in 1 Corinthians four things. If you have your outline, this is what you fill in. Number one is this. Our resurrected bodies will be, will be imperishable. It says in verse 42, what is sown is perishable. In other words, what is born. The bodies that we have right now are going to perish, but what is raised What is raised is imperishable. So we go from perishable to imperishable. We all know that everything that is living right now is someday going to die. There is nothing that is living that is going to last forever. The current bodies that we have are not going to last forever. The writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way. I love how he puts it. He's so practical. He's like, he says in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 3, the strong men are now bent. Right? We once had strong bodies, but now we're beginning to bend over again. The grinders cease, be- cease because uh, they are few. You're going to lose some teeth over time. Right? And those who look through the windows are dim. Your eyesight's going to go as well. Verse 5, they're also afraid of what is high. I'm more afraid of heights now than I was years ago. It's happening. Terrors are on the way. Almond trees blossom. The grasshopper drags itself along desire fails. That's a bummer right there because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the street. Verse seven, the dust. Remember, our bodies were formed out of the dust of the earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse seven says, the dust returns to the earth as it was. That's the burial, but the spirit returns to God who gave it. This is a picture of a body that is perishable, But if we're going to have bodies in heaven, they must be imperishable because heaven is eternal. And we can't have bodies that are going to die or wear out. That's the kind of body that Christ will give us when he comes again. This body is also described in Revelation chapter 12 or 21 verse 4. Uh, We love this verse because it talks about our resurrected bodies. He's going to remove every tear from our eyes because there is neither 
there will be neither death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor cancer, nor COVID, nor weakness, you name it, because your body is now imperishable. It's always going to be alpha fitness because there is no omega in heaven. You know what I mean? Now, the second condition of your resurrected bodies in verse 43, it says the body is sown in dishonor, but it will be raised in grace. My goodness, sin has ravaged our earthly bodies, right? So we don't take care of them like we should. We do a lot of things that kind of hurt our bodies we, and the way we dishonor our bodies, but they're going to be raised in glory. The third thing is found in verse 43. Our bodies are sown in weakness, but they're going to be raised in power. It is believed that the Apostle Paul had this frail kind of a body. He was not this strong guy at all, but he was afflicted with this thorn in the flesh. You all know that weak bodies have their limitations, and many of us, many of us can testify that the work of the Lord is often hampered by the bodily limitations that we have. And we get tired. Right? We wear down. We kind of have to retire at some point, and we just, we just can't keep going as we always did. That's because we, our bodies were born in weakness. But in heaven, with our new bodies, we shall know nothing of physical weakness. If there's a weight room in heaven, I am going to bench press 315 because I could never do that here on earth. So if it's different there, so, so the limitations of earth are not known in heaven. My body was sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. And then finally, the text says in verse 44, it is sown a natural body, but it's also raised a spiritual body. Now, this is exactly where some people say, well, see, there it says spiritual body. There's not going to be this bodily resurrection where somehow we're going to pop out of our graves and everybody coming back to life and bodies floating through the air or whatever. That's not going to happen because it's raised a spiritual body. Now, what I want you to know is this. If it would just only be a spirit, the writer would not have used the word body. But in the, in the language that this is written, the spiritual body does not mean, mean non-physical, but rather bodies that are transformed and adopted to the new world of God's spirit. That's what it means. So if the resurrected body is only spiritual, the writers would not say spiritual body. They would simply refer to a spirit. Furthermore, there's no resurrection needed for a spirit. There's only a resurrection needed if there's a body. And so we believe from this that there is going to be this bodily resurrection. Now, most Christians believe that between death and the resurrection, we indeed live in God's presence in a conscious awareness of the Lord and others who have gone before us. When our spirits depart from our bodies at the moment of death, they do go into a spiritual presence with the Lord. Now, this is beautiful. Again, it's not a body yet because the body is going to come at some point where the spirit will move back in and they will be reunited. So there is this spiritual moment right now where we're together with the Lord. And for the life of me, I wonder sometimes, why didn't God just keep it that way? I mean, it sounds so much easier, right, if it would just be this spiritual resurrection instead of coming back and do this bodily thing. But remember, again, God valued the body so much that we believe that this is going, there's going to be this bodily resurrection. So what is happening uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 is this glimpse of the resurrected Lord so that we know what to expect when our bodies are resurrected. It's wonderful to think about the spirit just being with the Lord right now. 
But I believe that's only the prelude to the main event that is going to begin in earnest on that getting up morning. That morning when, when Christ returns and we all rise to meet him. Now, if you want to know some timing of this, you go ahead and read the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and chapter 4. I'm not going to take the time to read this right now, but if you're wondering if this is really going to happen, it is spoken of in other places in the Bible as well, and, and a little bit more detail how this is going to work. When it comes to the timing, 1 Thessalonians makes it clear that no one, no one knows the timing of this. No one at all. However... It is going to be something that does happen. I don't know if you've watched the news this week, but I was kind of watching, uh, hoping for this major, major rescue story of those Indonesian Navy men in that submarine, right? The submarine that was missing and then presumed sank. I was just waiting and waiting, but the, 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 the news kept saying there's a limited amount of oxygen, right? Uh, and then Saturday morning, I got up, turned on the news, and the news basically said the oxygen has run out. 53 sailors presumed dead. Right now, I don't know about you, but I looked at that and thought, you know what, that's kind of a picture of our world, isn't it? Kind of a picture of our world. We're all sinking. We're all sinking in this sea of sin. And we need to be rescued. Sinners need to be rescued. The oxygen is running out. The oxygen is running out. There is a moment when the Lord is going to return. We all know, too, that death can happen at any moment for us. There's the accident. There's the drop-dead moments. All those things happen. It's kind of just the natural part of that physical body. So we don't know when all this is going to happen. But we do know that it's important for us to be ready for when that, the return of the Lord or when our bodies expire. So that is what 1 Corinthians is doing. He's just creating the awareness that we have of an eternal existence that's coming. Now, in chapter 15, the very last verse of our text, in verse 49, it says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So there is this bodily resurrection that's anticipated. And these bodies will be incorrupt, immortal, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. You and I will bear the image of the man of heaven, and we get to serve him forever and ever. Now, let me ask the final question this morning. What does this matter? Why is this so important to us? Why do we even talk about this today? Why don't we just live this life and whatever happens after we die happens, right? Just, just kind of let it happen. Well, here, here's, here's the reason. Let me answer that question with a benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he who calls you is faithful, he will do this. He will surely do this. You and I live between what we call the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. Already, already, we know this from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Already God created the heavens and the earth. 
Already, God put mankind on this earth in bodily form. I mean, we see it all around us in bodily existence. Already, God knows about the fallen nature of mankind. Already, God set his plan of grace into motion. Already, God has spoken through his prophets. Already, Jesus came into this world. He was born into this world. Already, Jesus grew. He lived among us. He died, and he was buried. Already, okay, this is Easter Sunday, already Jesus rose from the dead in victory, defeating death and the grave. Already Jesus ascended into heaven. Already God sent his spirit into this earth, not to live below us, above us, behind us, or beside us, but to live within us. Already God has given us his word. But not yet. But not yet has God finished his work in this world. Not yet has God finished his transforming work in your life. Not yet has God put that last enemy under his foot. Not yet has God said, everything is ready. Enter into my heavens. Not yet. Not yet, but it's coming. Now, you and I live right smack dab in the middle between the already and the not yet. It, this, this, this is the world's most important, incomplete process that is sanctification. God is still working on us, right? None of, what yet, none of us yet is what grace makes it possible for us to be. That will be in the not yet. The battle with sin and temptation still goes on, doesn't it? The war for what, we, what, what will effectively and functionally rule our hearts still rages, we are not yet even near uh, to being blameless in and of ourselves. No, the reality between the already and the not yet of God's transforming grace is the reality that we are all a bit of a mess. We're all a bit of a mess. We still fall into temptation. We still give into thoughts and desires. We still say things that we should not say. Man, we still behave in ways that expose the sin that is still in our hearts. So there's simply, simply no way at all that our personal security can be found in ourselves. Peace is not found in the degree of our faithfulness to God, but in the utter unshakable nature of his faithfulness to the commitment of grace that he has made to us. That's where it's found. So here's the truth. There's an already. This is where we live now between, you know, the here and, and the not yet. This is where we live. This is our temporary existence. There is an already, but there is also a not yet. This is the future. This is where you and I will live in an eternal existence with God. The, not, the already and the not yet. Most of us are familiar with Psalm 23. In fact, it's one of our favorites. It's a favorite for a lot of people. I had a family, unbelieving family, one time asked me to do a service, and they wanted me to do uh, Palm 23, Palms 23. I'm always happy to do Palms 23. Right, but Psalm 23 begins with, this, with, with the words that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You notice the personal pronouns? They're so important. The psalmist does not say the Lord is a shepherd. No, he says the Lord is my shepherd. Now, the very last verse of the psalm is probably one that makes us like this psalm. The very last verse, verse 6, says, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
But you need to know that you cannot claim verse 6 if you do not claim verse 1. If you cannot say the Lord is my shepherd, you cannot claim verse 6. Some people believe that the not yet part is disconnected with everything that's here, that that's an independent closed unit that happens after we leave this world. But it's not. They are connected. Unless you can say the Lord is my shepherd, you cannot claim that you will live in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't work that way. Now, what I believe this whole text this morning is just calling to our attention is simply this. We now live, we now live in, we live in the now, right? We have an opportunity right now to say, Lord, I want you to be my shepherd. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my personal Lord, not just a God that's out there in case I need you. Not just a God that's distant. I mean, even, the, even, even Satan believes in a God, but you need to make God your Lord and your Savior. That's when you can rest. That's when you can experience everything that the psalmist provides for you, the still waters, the quiet streams, the table, the anointing, the promise of eternity with the Lord forever. I don't know everyone in this room. I don't know where you're at in your personal life and decisions that you make. Maybe you're hearing all this this morning, and you're like, oh, gee, here we go again. Just another one of these pastors talking about this stuff that's never going to happen this stuff that we can't know for sure. Listen, there are some certainties that we hold on to, right? There's some things that we claim in our lives. There's some things that the Bible makes very clear. I wish I could tell you exactly what heaven is going to look like. I wish I could tell you exactly when all this is going to happen, how our bodies are going to be transformed. I don't know all of that for certainty. Remember, there's always some mystery behind the amazing work of God. But he lets us know enough for us to understand the significance of making Jesus the Lord of our lives right now, receiving him as our personal savior. I wanna just end our time together just praying for you because if you've never, if you cannot confidently say, the Lord is my shepherd, I wanna make sure that you can do that because I want you to live with confidence in verse six. I want you to know, not with a wishful thinking kind of hope, but with a confident certainty that you know for sure that you're going to be in heaven with the Lord someday for eternity. Remember, the, the, the already is a temporary existence. The not yet is an eternal existence. And you don't want to miss the opportunity to be in eternity with the Lord. You don't want to miss that. So I want to pray for you because maybe there's someone here who just... Maybe you never really thought about this. Maybe it's something that you don't even like to think about because it has to do with death, doesn't it? This is kind of morbid. I mean, next Sunday, I told the other services, next Sunday is kind of like a funeral service. But I want you to know there is victory all over it. Next Sunday is going to be an amazing victory march as we think about what happens. Because listen, if you know the Lord, when your life ends here, it really only begins. And that is the hope that we have, not as those who, not as those who grieve without hope, but those who know that the Lord has provided this place for us. But, but today, today, I just want you to know that my heart, my heart longs for you to be in eternity with our Lord. I hope we're all there so that we can continue the worship that we started right here in this earth, right? The worship that we have right now, we're going to do that forever and ever.
And let's pray together. God, if there's anyone in this room right now who does not know the Lord as their personal Savior, as their personal shepherd, I pray that right now in this moment, God, that you would just maybe open their heart to consider, to receive, open their mind to this understanding, and just help them to lay aside everything that has been holding them back from this decision and open their hearts just to receive it. There's no better decision that we could make than to make you Lord of our lives, to make you our Savior and our Lord. God, just move in today, move in. May your spirit just inhabit us in ways that that have never before. And if we've already received the Lord as our Savior, may this moment just revive our hope for the eternity that we get to spend with him. In his name we pray, amen. Church, let's stand together as we sing.